following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information about Trinity Grace Church, go to www.trinitygracesa.org. So I read an article, I guess it's been a, I guess it's a few weeks now, a couple months, but a Memorial Day weekend, a man was in actually Corpus Christi, my hometown, and he was gardening out there in the garden and a four foot rattlesnake came up near him and his wife. So he decides what any sane person would do to decapitate it. So he does, cuts the head off of this snake, but then he goes to dispose of the body, which he does, and throws it. He goes with his bare hand to reach and grab the head. Well, as he does, you know, severed head of a snake, I've, I read that they can, uh, it can continue to strike minutes to hours after it's been decapitated. So just a word of caution. Don't reach with your hands to pick up the head of a snake. It bit him and it released toxin into his body. At 20, he needed 26 doses of antivenom. It was enough to, to actually kill him. But he gets to the hospital, and, uh, and as far as I know, he recovered. Never, never went to check to see. But anyway, I think he recovered. Um, and as I read this story, I thought of Samson. I thought of, it made me th- it, I thought of him. It made me think of his story, how his story ends. I think Samson shows us clearly how sin is just like that in our lives. That the head of the snake can actually be cut off. You can be in Jesus and still be dosed with a a lethal amount of poison by sin as our flesh still carries, uh, we carry it around with us. It takes God's power to save us from ourselves even and the dumb choices that we make. Samson's life shows us that there are real consequences to sin and overestimating our own strength. Samson, Samson's life shows us this. So what we want to do is look at this passage together, the end of Samson's life, and explore this truth together. So let me read um, chapter 16, verses 23, down to the end of that chapter. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. They said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson Samson grasped the two middle, middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed his head, uh, bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell down upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and, and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. This is God's word given to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. You preserved it for us. We thank you that it is a word uh, at times of caution, 
uh, beckoning to us to repent and to, to come to you in our right senses. Lord, but it's also a gracious word. And so I pray that you would do those two things for us. Um, may you encourage us. May you challenge us. May your spirit give us ears to hear, eyes to see the truth um, of your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you don't know, you're not familiar with the story of Samson, We, in our Old Testament scripture reading, we had uh, I, I had them read basically his downfall. Um, but if you don't know, Samson was born to, supernaturally born to a barren mother and a man named Manoah. An angel of the Lord came to, uh, to Samson's mother and told him, this is in chapter thir- told her in chapter 13 that he would, uh, that she would conceive and that she would have a son and that he would be set apart, that he would be a Nazarite, consecrated unto the Lord. If you want to read more about the Nazarite vows that they would have to take, you can go to Numbers chapter 16. But in that, essentially, a Nazarite was consecrated, set apart to the service of the Lord. They could not shave the sides of their head, their head, and they couldn't touch alcohol. They were consecrated. Samson was made a called a Nazarite even before he was born, even before he learned about what his vows would, would entail. God called him before he was born. He had great strength. He slew countless Philistines and um, at one point in his life killed a young lion that tried to attack him. Anybody see in the news this uh, mountain lion attacked a guy in Colorado? Did you see this? He veered off the path. I think it was because there was closures or delays or something. And so he veered off the path and he heard rustling behind him. And a mountain lion, young mountain lion comes after him. And he, all he had is he was running were his hands. So somehow he subdues and kills it while trying not to be, you know, scratched and everything. Anyway, um, modern day Samson. Um, so anyway, that's an aside. He killed a lion. He slew countless Philistines. But he also had issues. He slept with prostitutes and went after Philistine women. And eventually, one of these women would be uh, the one who were, would betray him. He would reveal to her what his greatest, uh, what his source of strength was and where uh, he would be found weak. In, in verses 15 through 20, we hear about this. And you know, it's, it's ironic about having great strength. It's ironic about having great wealth, about having beauty. As you begin to place your trust and your identity into those things, right? Samson eventually gets to a point where he, I mean, who knows if it was just he was uh, dumb and in love, or maybe he was uh, assuming that he could get out of it. He had gotten out of it before, that God had come through for him, that it didn't matter that he shaved his head or broke his vow, that he was okay. This is the irony of having strength or having wealth is that we place our trust in those things and, uh, and we become arrogant and prideful. And at the very same time, when we place our, our irony, uh, or we place our strength into those things, our identity in those things, we realize that over time that we're actually weak. That untouchability or the sense that we are untouchable is uh, actually what leads to us being reachable. Un- we're not untouchable. We are reachable. As a matter if we think the snake is dead, we are not untouchable. And Samson lets himself be tricked by Delilah. He says his, the source of his strength is that his hair couldn't be shaved. You know what's crazy about Samson, um, and this is why I think he was relying on his own strength, is because David actually goes and takes down Goliath, right? But do you remember the story when David actually is faced with Goliath? He doesn't say the source of my strength is my power, my youth. What does he say? 
The source of my strength is the living God whom you are actually coming to oppose. It's Yahweh, the living God, who has all the power, and he's going to deliver you into my hands. Essentially, I think Samson, when he was going through his, uh, through his life, he began to believe that his strength, his vow, his performance was actually what made him strong. So I ask you a question. When was Samson at his weakest? It's our first point. Samson at his weakest. When? Was it whenever his head was shaved? All his life, Samson was weak, was needy, was dependent, or should have been dependent. The crazy thing about strength is that we begin to believe that we're not. And Samson, I believe, thought that he was strong, and that led to his downfall. The ESV study Bible notes say that Samson is he's neither to be idealized nor to be regarded as an utter failure. And, and his whole life is not uniformly negative or uniformly positive. But isn't that what our lives actually look like? It's usually a combination of, of success and failure. And now as Samson is subdued and at his weakest point physically, the Philistines have now taken him as a slave and he's grinding at the mill and brought out for entertainment. You know what's ironic about sin, though, is that Samson's given over to a people who worship Dagon, the, the uh, Philistine god, who's depicted as a, in the form of a man and a fish together. And he represented fertility. This is the irony of sin, is that usually when we give in to our addictions and give in to sin, we become enslaved to those very things. Samson is now a slave to the people who worship fertility, the very thing that he kept falling into, being with... Uh, uh, women and finding his identity and his strength and, um, and and eventually gave it all up for that. It's truly ironic. This is one of the great ironies of life is that he's exiled and mocked of Samson's life. He's exiled and mocked by the very people who worship the things that he was given over to. Samson was now held captive and they were exploiting his, exploiting his weaknesses. They were the ones who were praising their God Dagon and saying, this is the one who's handed us over this ravager of our country into our hands, worshiping this false God, saying Samson is devastated by our God. And now Samson's at their, at their mercy. But we know that it was God who allowed him to go into exile. It wasn't Dagon who had delivered him. It was God himself who had handed Samson over to face the reality of his, his situation. Samson went from being the one who subdued Philistines to the one who was now subdued by them, humiliated by them. The one who broke chains was now chained. The one who defeated hundreds and, and, and at one point thousand Philistines was now chained and defeated by them. He was at his weakest point physically, blind, a slave, had no strength. He was mocked, beaten, forced to work, and now to entertain the Philistine. He was at his weakest physically now because he came to rely on his greats, his own great strength. But this is the irony, though, is that Samson was at this point because not because he had been strong all along, but because he was actually weak all along. Samson was weak even when he was physically strong. He had relied on his physical strength and not on the God who had, uh, had delivered him all the times. Have you ever been there, though, at a point where you feel powerless, completely weak, that your sin has driven a wedge between you and God? Have you found yourself to be completely weak? Well, most of us in our lives who've failed know that. But what's great about the gospel is that, um, this is from our Confession of Faith at Westminster, 
says that God continues to forgive the sins of those who are justified. And although they can never fall away from a state of justification, they, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and, yet ha- and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. You see, if you've ever been there, you've ever been weak, no power, no ability to get yourself out of the mess that you're in, you realize that the only way to go up is actually to go lower. You realize that. The only way to go up is not through your own performance, your own physical strength. It's actually to go lower and more make yourself more needy, more dependent on God. Admit weakness. Give up trying to handle things on your own. You see, we function this way in our lives. And if we do that, we can look at Samson's life to be an utter failure. And in reality, our lives are a mixture of both. Tim Keller says that the Bible is not about following moral examples. It's about a God of mercy and long-suffering who constantly works in and through us despite our, uh, our constant resistance to his purposes. You see, Samson was now at a point where he could not go any lower. He was done, spent. There was no way to climb out of the mess that he was now in. He was physically weak, which ma- externally physically weak, which matched, I think, his internal weakness that he had had his entire life. But now, what's great about the gospel is that <clears throat> if you now know, if you've ever been at this point, that you can't go anywhere else, that you can't go up, you're stuck, where do you look? Where does salvation actually come, come from? Where does strength come from? Was Samson too far gone? Is ever, any one of God's children ever too far gone? God's power is different. It reclaims us. And it was here now to reclaim Samson. Keller says that it was simply time for Samson to be reclaimed spiritually. That instead of giving him power um, in, in his adversity, strength and power, God gives him weakness in his adversity. God's power is not acquired externally, Keller says, through following rules, gods or others, nor can it be lost even when we fail to keep the promises of God. It's unpredictable in the sense that it does not require or rely on a particular technique. Samson, the only way for him to go up is to actually go lower to admit his weakness. Well, what does Samson actually do? He doesn't have a technique, a moral endeavor. He actually comes to his senses. Samson, while he moves lower, gets out of the weakness and finds his strength. So the second point is Samson at his strongest. Samson was strongest when he was at his weakest point. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 that when we are weak, then we're strong. Power is actually made perfect in our weakness. It's not made perfect in our strength, our beauty, our, our moral endeavors. It's actually made perfect in our weakness and our neediness. You see, Samson had prayed to God before, when he was thirsty, he had just defeated a bunch of Philistines. He prays to God in this, uh, in, in this self-pity. He says, God, are you just now going to leave me here to die of thirst? Um, you know, provide for me. And God graciously provides for him. That's the only other time we hear of Samson praying. And I'm sure he prayed at some other points, but now he prays for a final time, a second time. He says, Sovereign God, Yahweh, remember me. He speaks to God and claims uh, and goes to the one where, where strength can actually be found. We find Samson now able to be reclaimed. Samson now at his strongest because he's been broken and he recognizes that God is the only one who could provide the strength he needs 
to move out of the position that he was in. Why is it that we tend to be the most fervent in prayer when we're in great adversity? Why is it that we tend to be the most fervent in prayer and seek the Lord more strongly whenever we're facing great difficulties in our lives? Whenever there's abundance, we tend to forget God. But whenever there's uh, adversity that comes, it's usually when we're like, God, please come through for me. As if he hadn't been there the entire time. This is the irony of strength and self-sufficiency. I've talked to people with great resources and wealth and power and beauty. And they begin to trust in those things. And when life begins to fail, they're at odds with God because they think, I've, uh, uh, I've accumulated all this stuff. Why am I not being able to use it and accomplish what I've set out to accomplish with it? They showed that they didn't trust in God. They trusted in their wealth and their power. I've talked to others who are extremely moral and religious, and they mistakenly believe that strength is found in their morality. So when I was in high school, um, you probably would not have liked me. Um, I was a good legalist. Um, but I remember being so devastated whenever bad things would happen in my life. Have you ever been there? You're doing everything you can. You're praying, you're reading your Bible, you're sharing Jesus with your friends, you're, um, you're, you're striving to live a good life, go to church, you serve, you do all those things, and, uh, and then bad things happen in your life. I remember thinking and praying when I was a kid, God, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? While well, I was finding my strength and my morality, and life got complicated, and I thought God was mad at me, I was keeping my end of the deal. Well, God, why aren't you keeping your end of the deal? It was only whenever I began to realize that um, I had no strength, nothing to stand on on my own, no merit, that I began to trust in the God who, um, who, who I didn't know very well. There's no point in me being upset with God whenever these things were happening in my life. This highlights a major problem in our logic. Whenever things are going well, we think, uh, and we're doing well, that God owes us something. But God simply gives us himself by his grace freely. What's great is that Samson calls out to God and all he says is, remember me, remember me this one last time. What's awesome about Samson's life is that it doesn't end in complete failure and utter ruin. And it's not because he ended well. I've I've talked to people who look at Samson's life. He's in Hebrews 11, right? Like if you've read the faith, hall of faith chapter, people think Samson, you know, he made it because he finally came to his senses and he did what he needed to do. He finally repented and prayed. That's why he got out of the mess that he's in. He humbled himself and he asked for help. That's, that's why he's in that. And I'm like, well, yes and no. He ended well. He did. But it's not, that's not why he was reclaimed. He was reclaimed because God gave him strength in his weakness. Martin Luther wrote in his hymn based on Psalm 130, great our sin, Though great our sins and sore our woes, his grace much more aboundeth. His helping love no limit knows. Our utmost need, it soundeth. This is so counter to what we think. It's so counter to what culture tells us. What you need to go to be able to move up is to get stronger, to get more powerful, to pull yourself up, rely on your own strength. Samson was as strongest when he realized he couldn't pick himself up, that he was needy. The only way up was to go down. The only prerequisite for receiving grace, Tim Keller tells us, is, is need, is recognizing your own need. When you find yourself at rock bottom, you cry out to the Lord. He will answer you. I guarantee it. 
The problem with our logic is that when we think we're strong, we don't think we're in need. And that's not the case. The gospel is so sweet because God imparts strength to us at our weakest, not our strongest. We're always in need. We're always dependent. We're always needy. Samson's now strongest because he's able to see that God all along was the one who is his strength. So finally, what is the true source of Samson's strength and why is he actually reclaimed? And this is the gospel in Samson's life. You see in verse uh, verse 22, which I had us read in our Old Testament um, reading this morning, it says, after they've gouged his eyes out, he's there grinding at the mill, mill, they've bound him in prison. Verse 22 of chapter 16, but the hair of his head began to grow back after it had been shaved. God begins to reclaim him. Even in the middle of his utter failure, God begins to reclaim Samson. His hair begins to grow back. Um, you know, he could have just been bald and that would have been insult to injury. You know, his, he could have spent the rest of his life without his hair growing back. But I think this was God just being kind to him. He let his hair grow back. And in some ways, he probably saw God providing for him again, that he had not been left helpless, that God was with him. And why was God with him? Well, in chapter 13, verse 7, we hear of his birth. And when the angel of the Lord comes and prophesies to his parents that he would be born, that he would be a Nazarite, he doesn't tell his parents that he's going to be a Nazarite until he screws up. He doesn't tell him that, tell them that he's going to make a mistake later in life and he's going to lose God's favor. What does he tell his parents? He will be a Nazarite until the day that he dies. So what is God saying to his parents there? He's saying that even if he blows it, I make a promise that I'm going to keep. God keeps his promise that he's going to reclaim him, even if he blows it. That Samson would not be a Nazarite to the day he messes up. He would be a Nazarite until he died. His hair begins to grow back. And I think that's a testament to God's provision for him. And the greatest provision that God makes is actually answering his prayer and, and relieving him of, of the, slave, uh, the enslavement that he had there. You know, this. Jerry Bridges tells us this in his book, The Discipline of Grace. If you haven't read it, you need to go read it. Um, it's a great book. He says, you are never so far gone, so far, so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Do you know that, church? You're never so far gone. You may be there now. You may be thinking that you've blown it. You may eventually get there at one point, but there is never a point in which you can get where you're so bad that God's grace can't reach you. What you need to recognize is your own weakness, your own frailty, your own need. And go to the God who's so willing to give us his grace. If we truly understood that grace, we'd probably change the way in which we relate to our sin. Stop trying to touch the heads of dead snakes in our lives. God could have made it where he would have lost his hair completely, but he begins to provide for him. His hair grows back, and now Samson prays to God, and he says, remember me this one last time. What was the source of Samson's strength? You know what's great, as I, as I mentioned that earlier, is that Samson thinks the source of his strength is his vow, his performance. The source of Samson's strength is God himself, the living God who stood behind him. Samson is not a story that we look at and we think, man, how am I like Samson? And in what way do I need to be like him or not be like him? Samson is a, is a signpost pointing us toward Jesus. He's a picture of what Jesus would eventually come to do and save us even from our set, our, ourselves, because if somebody who was powerful, who was strong, was in essence truly weak, 
and needy, who he, Samson couldn't get himself out of his own mess, then we would need someone stronger. Samson was strong and powerful, but he was made extremely weak because of his sin. You see that Jesus was infinitely powerful, but he made him, he's the strongest. He made himself weak, a fragile human being, not because of our, uh, his sin, but because of our own. You see, Samson was betrayed by Delilah, one that he loved, one of his closest friends. Jesus was handed over and betrayed by one of the people closest to him, Judas. Samson was led in place between two pillars, one hand on the left and one hand on the right. Jesus was nailed to a cross, one hand on the left, one hand on the right. Samson was put up on display, mocked for the display, uh, for the entertainment of those who stood around worshiping their false god. Jesus was put up on display and mocked as those uh, who were around him were rejecting the true and living God. Samson surrendered himself, and this is where the distinction comes in. Samson surrenders himself to the Philistines, to death, so that he might destroy the Philistines. Jesus comes and surrenders himself to death so that he might save you and I who act like the Philistines. Jesus prays at the end of his life, like Samson prays for deliverance, but he goes and takes the cup that God handed to him. Samson prays and he's delivered in some ways. Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're they're doing. Jesus was killed even for some of the very ones who put him on the cross. Samson cried out one last time for God to save him, and God relieves him of his distress. Jesus cries out with a loud voice, My father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus did this so that you and I could find the true source of salvation. We begin to to stop trusting in our own strength, our performance, our beauty, our wealth, whatever it may be. Begin to turn and look at the one who has infinite wealth, infinite strength. Stop relying on ourselves and look to the one who can truly save us. Jesus is that one. Jesus is that one. You see, we're not going to regard Samson's life as an utter failure because he's just like us. But God can take the brokenness as soon as we accept it, as soon as we turn it over, and he can bring beauty from it. Samson's life is actually a success story not because Samson succeeded or, or completed his task, but because God completed the task that he set out to do. You see, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Philistines at that point. They had come from the sea and were trying to uh, make a conquest through, uh, through, 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 the, through the Holy Land. And as they do, they come and they start oppressing the Philistines. And God raises up judges so that they could take back the land that the, the Philistines were trying to, to take. And it wasn't until David that they were really, truly subdued. And he fought with them for a long time to do it. But God was the one who was the true judge. God was the one who was there to, uh, to save his people. He was simply using uh, a weak person to bring about his purposes. He was using Samson. And in the same way he wants to use us, he's the one who reclaims his land. He's the one who's extending out his kingdom in the world. He wants to use us. Not because you're strong, because you're wealthy, because you're beautiful, but because he has power to use even the most, uh, the weakest of us to bring about his great strength. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that Samson's life is, is a picture of um, your work. It's not a picture of our success, a picture of our 
um, great strength. It's a picture of our weakness. Lord, we thank you that you were at work, even in Samson's life, bringing redemption to him. Lord, we thank you that he did come to his senses, Lord, and that he was um, he was reclaimed. We thank you, Lord, that even as he was experiencing your displeasure, he um, was never abandoned. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with that word, that we are not so far gone, Lord, and that we are not so, and remind us that we are not so strong, that we are not in need. Thank you that you do love us, that you do know what's best. May you bring uh, that to our minds as we seek to live out our callings in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.